Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thanks for tuning in today. Today we're going to talk about a great film I saw last night, Battle in the Holy City, uh, a documentary by Pete Hegseth, uh, The Social Justice Warrior 2020 Presidential Scheme. Cannot wait to describe that to you. Progressives Destroying U.S. Cities, a bunch of little stories, and last, Trump is going to tweet, apparently, during the Democrat presidential debates, a little bit on that, and I'll, then I'll tell you why all these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello and welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis and welcome to today's First Five. So last night I had the great privilege of attending a screening of a documentary made by Pete Hegseth. He is the author of, I think it's called In the Arena. He wrote that book. He's a Fox guy. But the documentary he made is called Battle in the Holy City. And it's about Israel and in particular about Jerusalem. I want to play a quick clip, which I sent to my wonderful producer, Matt, and then tell you a little bit why it was such a special documentary. For thousands of years, this holy city has been sacred ground. Religious shrines on top of religious shrines. Faiths battling faith. Now Pete Hegseth takes cameras inside the holiest sites. You could the tension in that crowd With exclusive interviews and access to places never seen before. That's the Western Wall Prayer Plaza outside. Okay, I'll tell you, first of all, that I am extremely fond of Israel. I've had the great blessing of having traveled there a couple of times. One time with an extensive tour, uh, actually both times with, with quite an extensive tour. And Israel has a, just a, a great place in my heart, and I love the uh, various ways in which Christian America connects with Israel and uh, for, for a variety of reasons. But why I want to talk today in the first five about Pete Hegseth's documentary is that it really made some profound points about the importance of America and the Christian world defending Israel and in particular defending Jerusalem. Pete Hegseth went over there um, as you know he's obviously a Fox person got a lot of access he includes in his documentary uh, an interview with the Benjamin Netanyahu he also interviewed numerous archaeologists who are in the middle of doing these digs all over Israel and and we noticed that both times that we were there my husband actually has a business partner who's in Israel so we he travels there a lot has been there many times and has a, just a lot of familiarity with Israel but every place you go you notice their archaeological digs going on in, in Israel. So he had archaeologists in the video. He also had conversations with, uh, one was kind of a, a secular uh, Palestinian guy who was more or less just kind of commenting about the, um, the secular nature of some of the battles there. But probably the most telling and insightful um, things that came out of this documentary last night were the uh, interviews he had, that, which are kind of spaced throughout this documentary, interviews he had with two Muslim leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, one was uh, whatever the highest level um, person, and I, and, you know, I, didn't, I couldn't take notes, there was no handout, so I'm just you know, from memory speaking of these people, but one gentleman uh, and one Muslim there uh, in the film was a um, very high level 
uh, imam or something um, in Jerusalem. And the other one was also a very prominent leader in the Muslim community in Jerusalem. Some of the things that he got them to say, just asking questions, going back and forth, they really were eye-opening about the importance of both preserving Israel, second, about the importance of what Donald Trump did when he agreed to finally, after numerous presidents promised to and didn't, moved the American embassy to Jerusalem at the request of the country of Israel because that's the capital Israel claims, Jerusalem. But I want to just share some of the things that came out in this documentary. You'll be able to see it, by the way. It's going to be on Fox Nation, which you can subscribe to. I think it's free. Uh, you can go to Fox Nation. And I'm not getting paid to say this. I have no affiliation with them. But at Fox Nation, you can go get maybe a 30-day or two-week free trial, something like that, and you'll be able to see it there. But a few of the things that were just really eye-opening about the battle really America faces and uh, the Judeo-Christian world faces dealing with the aggression of Islam. One was, among the most holy sites in all of Jerusalem, you know, you, everyone knows the Wailing Wall, and that's where, you know, many Jews go every day to pray. It's where virtually every tourist who ever goes to Israel goes to the Wailing Wall. The Wailing Wall is actually a portion of the wall that was originally around. Um, the, uh, it were just a portion's currently uh, viewable on the surface on the ground. But the Wailing Wall is the closest that the Jewish people of Israel can get to the holiest site in Israel, in all of Judaism, which is beneath the Temple Mount, beneath the Islamic Mosque, on top of this, uh, on top of what the Jews refer to as the Holy of Holies. It is the most sacred, um, sacred building, um, sacred, I don't know if it's called a synagogue, but but sacred uh, place for all of Judaism, Holy of the Holies. And it is a temple built thousands of years ago. And then, and all the endless, and the the documentary goes through all the history, the ancient history and, you know, who came in and, and, you know, how, how, you know, 3,000 plus years ago, the Jewish people were in what we now call Israel, the excavation over and over and over of artifacts showing that. But over the course of the uh, millennia, really, centuries and thousands of years, many, you know, invading armies comes in, come, come in, you know, this, these people overthrow, these people overthrow, it goes on and on and on. But when uh, the Islamic conquest happened, they built the Dome of the Rock over the Holy of the Holies temple. And so the Jews cannot get there's no physical access for them to get to the to the, their most holy site of all of their where they'd like to go, the holy of the holies um, temple. So, one thing that Hegseth brought out in this documentary is documentary is that the has in the last ten years or so there's started to be a myth perpetrated by the anti-Semites, per- perpetrated by the people who want to give. Islam the control over all of Israel, which is what they want. Islam wants to control over not just all Jerusalem, but all of Israel. They want to claim it's their land. The Jews have no claim to it, according to the Muslims, no right to be there, blah, blah. So one thing that has started among, you know, the elitists, the propagandists, among the anti-Semites in the Muslim world is to claim that this holy of holy temples beneath the Temple Mount does not exist. That it's just a myth. It's just propaganda put out by the Zionists or the, or the you know the evil Israelis. They they actually try to claim that this temple, which has been known to exist for thousands of years, does not exist. So Hegseth is interviewing this one guy who is a um, 
and I, as I, I don't know the title of these two men, these two uh, Muslim men. He was able to have very extensive interviews, I mean, leaders of, in the Muslim world in Israel, and asking them about this. And one of them, one guy, he said, well, you know, what about this argument that the, the, um, the temple, the, the Holy of the Holies temple doesn't exist, that it's not really there underneath the Dome of the Rock, and that, you know, the, the Jews, there's nothing there that really is sacred to the, um, the Jewish faith. And this guy, this Muslim guy in Jerusalem, he kept saying, I cannot comment upon this. This is a complicated question. I cannot comment upon this. I cannot, I mean, just wouldn't answer. But after the, the uh, documentary played last night, and then there was a, a group on stage, Pete Hegseth and two other gentlemen speaking on stage, Hegseth told the story that after the cameras were turned off, after the recording was turned off, they're, they're just standing there talking to this Muslim leader who had just said, I cannot comment, I cannot comment, said, of course everyone knows the Holy of Holy Temples is there. Everyone knows that. Of course everyone knows that. But they are the propaganda level of the Islamic leaders in Jerusalem, they won't even agree to that this exists. And so this is, you have to understand, if you're Jewish and, and Israel is your homeland, has been your people's land since, you know, over 3,000 years ago, the idea that you are blocked, the access for you, the Jewish people, to the Holy of Holy Temples is blocked by the decision by the Islamic conquerors to put the Dome of the Rock over, uh, mosque over the uh, Holy of Holy Temples. You know, this is, this is not in, in a, it's not something many people would take well, that, that would, would agree to it. And by the way, the Muslim um, faith claims that this very same location where the Holy of Holies is, is, you know, and actually for for the Jewish faith, it is where they say that Abraham brought his son Isaac when, if you know the Bible story, he was uh, willing to sacrifice his own son as if he thought that was God's command for him. He didn't do it, but he was willing to do it if that's what God wanted. That's in the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith teaches that too, of course. Um, but the Muslim faith claims that this, this Dome of the Rock is where uh, Muhammad, I think it is, ascended. I think it's where Muhammad the angels took him up or something like that. So very holy to them too. Point is, Muslims have access, Jews do not. And the Muslims uh, are perpetrating the lie among the ignorant in the world that there really is no such thing as the Holy of Holies temple um, underneath it. The Islamic aggression that is present throughout the Muslim world in Israel is really palpable. So there is access to this area near the dome, near the Muslim mosque, the dome of the dome of the rock. Uh, area I and mean, people who are Muslim can get up there any time they go up there they pray they do whatever they want small groups can sometimes go up and uh, tourist groups I have not been able to do that in my two trips to Israel uh, and neither has my husband but other people I know have so in a limited way non-Jews uh, are able to get some access to get up and be up on that the uh, surrounding area around the Dome of the Rock mosque and Pete Hegseth along with a small group was permitted to do that so they had to have Security guards all around them, security guards protecting them because they were going up to this area around the Dome of the Rock where many Muslim uh, citizens of Israel, or even if they're not citizens, just people, are able to go up to the Dome of the Rock. And the way uh, Pete Hegseth was treated, I can't remember if it was in the, the segment or not that I, I played for you, the, I just gave a little clip, but there is aggression. I mean, the, the people just who are up there at the Dome of the Rock, when they see people coming through who are not Jewish, 
excuse me, who are not Muslim, who are Jewish or just obviously not Muslim, very aggressive. Hegseth's group got, got berated by uh, two different groups while they're up there yelling at them and, and you know, yelling Allahu Akbar at them. I mean, this is what they, how they conduct themselves around and outside of the allegedly very important Islamic mosque at the top of the, um, above, you know, above the Holy of the Holies uh, Jewish temple. So yelling, just, just very abrasive, uh, not abrasive isn't the right word, uh, accusatory, violent, very, very, very dark and ugly. And so Hegseth described that. Two other quick things, and then I'll wrap up, which is getting longer than my first five. But uh, uh, one other thing was that um, the um, Israelis are endlessly excavating and they are extremely careful to preserve anytime they find something. Uh, in fact, we were there one time, they were just doing some, uh, the, our guy was telling us a story about, they were doing something like building a parking lot or expanding a parking lot, and they came across something obvious in their digging that had, that had historic significance, and they stopped the construction, and they bring the archaeologists in, and so they're digging, digging, digging. Well, one thing that they've been digging up is the ancient city of David. It is just, and so, and that's another thing Hegseth got to do, get inside that excavation. I mean, they're finding things that are so old, and they can do carbon dating. They can, and they, they you know, archaeologists know the symbols of various people and times. I and mean, it's just extraordinary protection of the uh, archaeology, whether, whether the, what's being dug up relates to Islam, Christianity, or Judaism. The Jewish archaeologists protect all of it preserve all of it. By contrast, still ongoing today is Muslim excavation underneath the Dome of the Rock. Muslim excavation going on, digging, digging out, and wanting to just find a way to throw away the, the, the dirt and the rubble and the rocks that they are finding that are filled with archeological treasures, try to just throw them away. They're trying to do everything they can to deny the right of the Jewish people to have any access to, or proof of the fact that that, where, where they are, where, where this, you know, this big Dome of the Rock thing is actually built on an area that the Jewish people have occupied, you know, since way, you know, since time began, since way, before, you know, 3,000 plus years ago. And the Jews have managed to a certain degree, they'll come kind of get, gather this rubble that the Muslim archaeologists are trying to throw away and they'll still grab it and try to go through it. Uh, last story is a PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization, which is a, you know, the, is, is all Islamic, of course. Um, they have a policy, a law, that if a Muslim homeowner sells his home to a Jewish person, it's a crime for which you might be put to death. You'll certainly go to prison for 20 to 30 years. So, you know, when you, and you listen to the way the Jews tried in, in Israel tried to treat the Palestinians. Jewish people, to be really clear, in Israel, the country of Israel has a Knesset, a Congress. They have Jews in the Congress, of course, and the, the majority in their Knesset. They have Christians and they have Muslims. Muslims have the right to vote in Israel. There, this is, this is a, Israel's a country very much like Western civilization America, where they accord rights to everyone. And they are surrounded by and living and having in their midst a, a um, an, an element, the, the Islamic element within Israel that is just completely intolerant of the idea that Israel even has its own state, 
that Israel exists, that Jewish people are allowed to be there. These comments he got, these these uh, two different, he, Hegseth, got these two people to make, uh, whom he interviewed, the, the two different Muslim leaders within Israel, were truly eye-opening. And so it was a very ex extraordinary special evening, uh, way past my first five, but that's my first five for today. Now I want to turn and talk about this uh, amazing video that um, emerged. Uh, you might have heard, remember Project Veritas. Project Veritas is a group that just does all these kind of undercover videos to try to bring this truth to the screen for people um, about things where, and they, they were for the one example, or the people who talked to Planned Parenthood and got the Planned Parenthood people when they didn't know they're being filmed to admit, of course, they sell baby body parts and how much, you know, this baby body, body part is worth, this much is worth. Well, they did another video and they, they have, I want to play the video for you first, then talk about the significance this has to having any sense of fairness in the 2020 presidential elections. This is an undercover video Project Veritas did related to Google. Go ahead. Today, we bring you a Google insider, a brave man who came forward and brought us a story that will scare you. I think sunlight is the best disinfectant and people need to start asking questions. A couple weeks before the Google Insider came forward, Project Veritas secretly recorded with Jen Janai, a Google executive. Janai talks about making sure when people search for things through machine learning algorithms, Google's political agenda is always present. We all got screwed over in 2016. Again, it wasn't just Right after Donald Trump won the election in 2016, the company did a complete 180 in uh, what they thought was important. Before they thought self-expression and giving everyone a voice was important, but uh, now they're like, hey, there's a lot of hate, and because of there's a lot of hate and misogyny and racism, that's the reason why Donald Trump got elected. And so we need to uh, fix that. And we need to start policing our users because we don't like to have an outcome uh, like that. We don't want to have an outcome like that to happen again. Junjanai is the head of responsible innovation at Google Global Affairs. She determines policy and ethics for machine learning or artificial intelligence. What we've learned is that AI is increasingly what Google search is all about. not mean what you think that it means and you have to apply double think in order to understand what they're really saying and what they're really saying about fairness is that they have to manipulate their search results so that it gives them their political agenda that they want and so they have to rebias their algorithms so that they can uh they can get their agenda across 
Project Veritas also received a trove of confidential documents from within Google. This document is about algorithmic unfairness. It reads, quote, for example, imagine that a Google image query for CEOs shows predominantly men. Even if it were a factually accurate representation of the world, it would be algorithmic unfairness, unquote. Gorov Gite, a Google software engineer, independently verified the thesis of this document. But then there are teams which are called ML fairness. ML fairness, the teams? Fairness, like, yeah. you know, you need to be fair. Yeah. So they're trying to modify the model such that even if the data for female CEOs is... It's low. No, yeah, it's low. It kind yeah. of balances out. It still balances out. Okay. Why I wanted to play that for you is this. And, you know, if I had to have a theme, this is usually Monday, says Deep Dive Monday. I want to get at the theme, if there had to be one today, and there doesn't have to be, but I like the theme of being really alert to when you're being manipulated, when you're being lied to, and to also, the other thing I would say is social justice warriors, like those two people you were just seeing from Google, what they're really about is imposing their sense of fairness on everybody else. And so I want to just hit a couple points about this. Just be aware of this. It's gonna, this is gonna be an explosive story. I'm gonna hit about three or four points about this and move on. One is recognize what that guy, by the way, his voice, he was obviously had his voice modified. He's a whistleblower from inside Google, probably doesn't want to get sued or killed or you know attacked on social media. So he's, not, he's only willing to talk to Project Veritas with his voice altered and his obviously seeing there in the dark. So first point he's making is they are manipulating the search results. So like when you type in something, Google is imposing its sense of fairness on what you see, what results you get. Obviously, the more specific inquiry you do, the more you're likely to dig in and find what you're looking for. But for the vast majority of search results, you type in some generic thing, and they are, this guy is telling America that Google is altering their, and they called it machine learning algorithms, that their artificial intelligence altering the algorithm so what the what the search comes up with is what they want you to think what they want you to read and doesn't come up with the things they don't want you to read um also note this woman's definition of fairness it has nothing to do with a principle a rule a law it is all personal subjective she decides which groups in this country or this world are to be considered historically marginalized and whatever she then thinks is better for those groups that she has defined as historically marginalized she is pushing an agenda that would she believes would help that group it's nothing about truth it's nothing about facts it's nothing about principles it is about picking personal favorites, picking, sympathizing with some group, hating another group, sympathizing with alleged victims in society, and manipulating the results you see as a result of her sense of fairness. This Google uh, person who came in and, you know, unloaded, on, unfortunately for us in Project Veritas, so he's talking about one thing is the result of Google searches. Another one is about uh, talking about YouTube. He was telling, sharing with Project Veritas, YouTube deliberately suppresses PragerU, Dave Rubin, Tim Pool, 
other people they see as inconsistent with or not standing up for their values. So this is what Google, which owns YouTube, is doing. They are, and, and very much this woman, we didn't play every clip she had to say, but she went out of her way to say, this woman who is an, a high executive at Google, to say they intend to not permit a replication of the 2020 election, of the 2016 elections. It is not right that Donald Trump won, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing her, not right that Trump won, and they're not they're gonna see that that doesn't happen again, and so they're manipulating results. Our good friends at Center for Security Policy, and we've had many guests on from that group, um, talked about this idea that Google should be considered to be engaged in political warfare. Now, you know, there are arguments. In fact, one, one last point this gal from Google said is she really dislikes Senator Warren's idea and other Democrats have been saying we have to break up big tech, break up, break up big tech, and, you know, because they're just too powerful. And she's saying, she, this young lady, is saying, well, Senator Warren, I, she's great and I love her, but she's wrong about that because these smaller companies, if they break up Google and all those other companies, those small companies won't have the power that Google has to manipulate American thought. So she's against being broken up because she wants Google to manipulate America's thought. She thinks it's her job. She thinks it's her job as a social justice warrior to decide what you get to think about. So support, I would say, very much support the breakup of social media. Next story I want to turn to, and again, this is what leftism does to the world. Uh, you know, we are, I'm going to end up talking about the presidential uh, debates. They start this week. There are two nights in a row presidential debates for the Democrat presidential candidates. This Wednesday, 26th, Thursday, 27th, and they had to break them up. In fact, I think there were 24 candidates. Only 20 made the cut, so you have 10 Wednesday night, 10 Thursday night. We're going to hit that in a moment. But I just want to have you thinking before we start to listen to these candidates, watch the debates, assess their proposals, I want to just talk about a few examples of what leftism does in this country, what actual consequence flows from all the arguments of leftism, all of their claim that they care the most, they are going to have, they, they are the one for the little guy, they're the one for the marginalized communities, they're the ones that stand up for, you know, all these alleged oppressed people, they're, they are a victim outrage manufacturing facility, the Democrat Party is, they're just endlessly finding new victims, new reasons for outrage, new reasons to keep ignorant people outraged, and constantly creating the depiction or telling you the story that America is full of victims and the who are just being oppressed or some other group of Americans, but don't worry, say the Democrats, you know, vote for us, pick us, and we will just, we will just vastly grow government and control everything and make it fair. So let's see what they've done so far. I want to turn first. This is an amazing story. I hadn't heard this story until this morning. It's an email I got. But in the city of Seattle, there are new ordinances in place that relate to land, to, to tenants, people who own uh, property that they rent out. So these tenants in Seattle are trying to, um, they actually took the city of Seattle to court because these new ordinances say to people who rent out rooms or rent out apartments that they are, some things they can never ask about. So they're not allowed to ask, for example, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Have you ever spent time in prison? 
You can't ask those things anymore in Seattle. It's all part of this criminal justice reform effort, which has some good elements to it. And this, I would say, is a not good element because if you own a piece of property, say you own an apartment building, this is your investment, how you make your living. And you have four units and you have three happy units with little families or couples or single people renting those units and a unit available and you have someone to come to fill out an application and you're not allowed to ask them questions that may cause you to decide whether they would be a good tenant. For example, have you ever served time in prison? Well, your other tenants are not going to be happy if because you couldn't ask that question, you didn't know the answer. So you, for example, rent out that apartment to somebody who has a violent criminal record, has spent time numerous times in prison. If you're the family next door, you're the family with mom, dad, two kids, or the single woman upstairs, You'd be saying, landlord, are you kidding me? You rented the other apartment in our building to a criminal, to someone who has committed multiple violent crimes and been in prison, and you rented the apartment to him? But Seattle says to the, ten- to the, la- the landlords, you can't ask. Second thing it says is the landlords must rent the apartment out to the first person who applies who meets qualifications, meaning financially qualified. If someone applies and it appears from whatever they filled out that they qualify, you have to rent it to them. So the, uh, I don't know if it's an individual uh, landlord or a group of them took this uh, city, city of Seattle to court and they won in the trial court that, that the judge ruled this ordinance in Seattle constituted an unconstitutional Fourth Amendment violation of their due process, a taking of their property without due process. And you know, it's a great reasoning, great thinking, because especially if you own apartment buildings as your means of supply, that's your work. I mean, that's how you make money to live. That's your business. That's your job. And you are damaged, harmed by the the ordinance in Seattle requiring you to accept the first person. You might think they're kind of dicey, not too sure, or, or you, and you can't even ask them about their criminal record. You know, the, anyway, the court, the trial court said, yes, it's, it's a taking Fourth Amendment, you know, due process. Um, and so now it's on appeal. And so I love the idea. And the organ, one organization that's helping to back this is Pacific Legal Foundation. I've had a couple of their attorneys on other cases. I, I didn't call them today, but um, they, they are doing a good job, I'm sure, making the argument. But it's a great example of left-wing reasoning. The left-wing mindset in America, this is a perfect example. Number one, regulate the heck out of everyone. Pass an or I mean, Seattle obviously is a very left-wing place, but regulate who landlords not only you know must rent to what they're allowed to ask. What the, I mean, this is a, a big government mindset that the city council decides who you should what you should be allowed to ask who you must be able to rent to who you who you must rent to and the landlord doesn't so that no respect for private property rights no respect for the for the uh individual and so there, there's that mentality to it plus the whole notion that you're supposed to be you're just kind of telling people hey you know you're not it doesn't really matter what this guy did you know once he's out you have to treat him it's the government deciding for the landlord what he has to think very left-wingy big controlling second thing is as you know i'm sure california has a massive 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 homelessness problem there was there are efforts ongoing in um, san diego where uh, my husband and i lived many years are you know we love going out there 
San Diego, with a Republican mayor, is now in the process of spending millions of dollars to build elaborate tent facilities for all the homeless um, in California. There was a Department of um, Housing and Urban Development, HUD, um, report that came out recently that San Diego and the surrounding, the city and the surrounding county had the fourth largest population of homeless people in the country, uh, huge crisis, and they of course are becoming more, the larger the homeless population grows, the more demanding obstreperous that they become, harassing motorists, uh, stopping you know, stop signs and being, and you know, just aggressively panhandling. I have a lot of stories I could share on that, but I'm not going to do it right now. But the point is, the left-wing mindset that encourages people to think that they're victims, that indulges lawlessness, that humors lawlessness, has really exploded in California. So back to San Diego, they are now in the midst of building an elaborate tent facility where then they're saying that at least the, the uh, places where the tax-paying working citizens can go. They shouldn't have to be hassled by the homeless at all times. Um, of course, the ACLU got in the middle of that. They're arguing, no, they got in the middle of a different one. But anyway, they are, this, this mayor is saying, look, we need to get the homeless people, we're going to get them off the streets and get them help. He said their strategy is to connect, support, and shelter them. Um, they're giving also kind of a safe parking zones for people living in their cars. So it's not, it's, I guess it's helping the residents of California and in, in terms of not being aggressively confronted by homeless people but it's not really solving the problem. They do talk about trying to get to uh, get people counseling for drug and other addictions and all that. Um, but anyway, so that's going on going in California. But there was a bigger point about that I wanted to hit um, uh, about just the outcome of lawlessness in California and the outcome of this left-wing mindset. Government solves everything. Everything should be free. Never, you know, rules and laws are kind of not, they're, they're kind of annoying and not necessary. Um, there have been communities fighting back against this just this rampant increase in lawlessness in California and in Orange County, uh, which uh, is one of the wealthier counties in the in the country and it's certainly in the state of California. Um, they have a, a an Orange County Board of Supervisors um, member named Todd Spitzer who was trying to describe what they're doing in Orange County. They literally had a riverbed along Anaheim in a Anaheim, California, where the city or the county, I guess, moved in and said you have to get out of here it used to be a place that citizens go ride bikes it's very lovely now you know it was a big mess they moved them out of there so they moved out i want to find the number of people they moved out of this camp just along the anaheim um in anaheim california just across the, along the river and you cannot find it quickly but anyway i want to tell you what they what when they went in to clean up what they uh, uncovered they uncovered they had so far removed trash trucks and contractors in hazmat gear after removing all these people um, in, in this, from this homeless camp, they had so far removed 250 tons of trash. Okay, one car, the average car weighs about a ton, two tons. Okay, so 250 tons of trash, 1,100 bags, 1,100 pounds of human waste, and 5,000 hypodermic needles. But and it goes on and on, just grotesque, you know, uh, life living that way. And uh, this one guy, uh, Spitzer, who was in the um, Orange County Board of Supervisors, w was making the point that um, because this, the spread of uh, open door use of using the open door for the restroom has uh, caused a hepatitis outbreak. Um, 
related to just dirt and filth, um, and infecting 694 people. Actually, it wasn't in Orange County. That happened in L.A. and along Skid Row. The point is, this is a health hazard for healthy people. It is ridiculous, and it is the, the result of a left-wing mindset that just goes, hey, you know, we're just going to kind of let it all go. Um, and then the last one I wanted to mention, uh, there were a bunch of other stories about that, but the last one I wanted to mention is just a kind of funny, you can enjoy the um, craziness of California. So on the one hand, in California, in San Francisco, they have had, they are so indulgent of the homeless community, and they're just surrendering to any way these people behave, that in San Francisco, it is no longer, they, they don't even fine you. There's no, not even like a traffic ticket equivalent. You can relieve yourself in public you can relieve your, relieve yourself you know whatever kind of relief you need to do on the city streets on the sidewalks and it's gotten so bad in San Francisco that they now have a an online available poop map where you are warned about the areas that not, to walk and not walk because so many homeless people have relieved themselves on the sidewalks um, in in uh, in San Francisco. But I really um, so it's just obviously grotesque. I mean, on and on and on with all the left wing mindset has done to San Francisco. But I'll just tell you this one last kind of funny story um, that is uh, you know the collision between two woke kind of mindsets. Um, there is a gay guy who owns a sushi restaurant. So he's, you know, and he's, I guess he's a, you know, big gay advocate. He owns a sushi restaurant and the, nor the just the, happens to be the layout of the storefront of the sushi restaurant has a little alcove, I mean, a little cutout that, I don't know why it's there. It's been there for a long time. But anyway, um, he, as a matter to symbolize or to signify gay pride, got a really large rock put in that alcove and painted it with the rainbow flag, the support for gay, for the gay community flag. But the rock is taking away a sleeping space for, for homeless people who used to go tuck themselves in and sleep there at night. So now these left wingers in California are complaining about, they called it, they use the expression woke collision. Are you woke enough to just support the gay guy who owns the sushi restaurant and his you know, pride symbol he put on the rock? Or are you woke enough supporting the homeless people? But the idea that you have advocates complaining about a sleeping space taken away on someone's private property because the restaurant owner is his property, but that the mindset of entitlement to sleep in public, to relieve yourself in public, to be given what you needed, you need. This is not good for America. And I would love to hear in the debates uh, Wednesday night, are we going to hear anyone talk about this massive homeless problem in California caused by the massive leftism of California? Last story today I want to hit. As I mentioned, we have, I believe we have these um, uh, pictures of the uh, candidates, but we have two Democrat presidential camp debates coming up. As I mentioned at the start of the show, there are 24, 25 candidates now, so they honed, they have 10 of them in the debate on the first night, Wednesday, the 26th, and the next 10, the next night. So here they are, who are we gonna hear from the 26th? Cory Booker, uh, Julian, Ga um, you probably know all these people, Julian Castro, Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, no one's ever heard of him. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, and Elizabeth Warren. It's very, so that is tomorrow night. And I've been reading a little bit about what they've been doing. And I think because these people, you know, the economy's so good. The American industry has come back. Unemployment is low. The economy's great. 
I am so interested in what these people will argue. Now, they're probably going to be asked softball questions where they can just spend the whole time trashing President Trump, and they probably will. But the idea of, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, as you listen to them, what are they offering? What specifically are they saying they will do to help America improve over its present situation? Economy is strong, stock market is strong, unemployment is low, even for groups that traditionally have a harder time finding jobs. I mean, the economy is rolling. We're moving toward border security. I'm very curious, for example, will any of these people agree that anything should be done for border security? All of them are Democrats. Democrat Party in Washington has just stood steadfast, won't fund the wall, won't fund uh, increase in border patrol agents, won't fund increased uh, increased building of facilities to house illegal immigrants trying to enter the country, fund sanctuary cities, support sanctuary cities, support the legalization of everybody who's here illegally. I don't know if there's any question any of them will ever get, but I wish they would be asked, what specifically are you going to do about the border? What would you do about the caravans? Will you just welcome them all in? Do you just send a worldwide invitation? What is it you'll do? Because I think the answer is they can not stand to stand up about against the border problems. They just can't stand it. So the, the, we had the first group there, uh, and I'm gonna talk about each of them a little bit more on the day they're on, but Thursday, the other group, Thursday the 27th, we have uh, Michael Bennett, uh, Joe Biden, I can't wait to talk about him some more, uh, Pete Buttigieg, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, John Hick and Luber, Bernie Sanders, Eric Swalwell, he's worthy of a show by himself. He's full of a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, Marianne Williamson, really shocked she made up. I'll tell you about her. And Andrew Yang. So these are really, I mean, these are very early, and obviously a lot of people are hoping their guy does well, and then somebody, you know, somebody else doesn't. Um, but this is a great chance not just to assess each candidate, but to ask yourself, what specifically are they offering? that will make America better than it is. And I'll tell you one last funny thing. Apparently there's an internal struggle inside the White House. Some supporters or, or some you know, Trump people think that he should just be quiet during these presidential debates and let these um, these candidates, because they have to criticize each other, they have to say, well, you know, my idea is better than hers or his. They've got to do that. But the debate is whether President Trump should tweet during the presidential debates. He kind of hinted he was going to, uh, the Democrat presidential debates, he hinted he was going to, I'm sorry, makes me laugh even thinking about it, because he'll be pretty funny. And so, you know, this is kind of his style. He's not usually one to back off and say, well, I'll just let them be. But some people are telling him, don't do it. Other people are saying, hey, it's who he is. Of course he's going to do it. But it'd be very interesting to watch what he has to say uh, during these presidential debates. And now, my friends, the lot this show races by, as it always does. I'm going to turn now to the end and to our why it matters to you. This story of Pete Hegseth's, Hegseth's documentary, Battle in the Holy City, it matters to you. What you are watching, oh, by the way, his great point Hegseth made talking to the crowd was this. One of the commentators said, why did you make this documentary? I mean, of all the topics you could have chosen, he said, because this is ground zero, Jerusalem. The, it is the source of the Jewish faith. It's a source of the Christian faith. It's a source of the Muslim faith. It's ground zero in the battle for Judeo-Christian countries to stand up against Islamic aggression, to stand up against. And you, when you hear the things, these, these leaders who knew they were talking to a Fox person giving interviews, 
essentially saying, yeah, we, we want complete Muslim control. And, and, and we, and it were just flat out lies, things they were saying to him, they were, they were laughable lies. But the point is, Pete Heggs has said, he did this, this documentary because this is the place, ground zero, the battle between you know, Western civilization, Judeo-Christian ideas, and what Eastern civilization, if you want to call it that, or Islamic-based society brings to the world. So, in my view, this is a 21st century call. Compare Islamic worldview with Judeo-Christian Western civilization. It's conquest by Islam versus coexistence, which is practiced by the Jews, the Christians uh, around the world. It's tolerance practiced by the Jews and the Christians, intolerance by Islam, moral versus immoral, good versus evil. America is a tolerant nation. We are rooted in Judeo-Christian values, but we have to learn from Europe, from Israel, from the history of the world. Defending the culture of liberty in America and in the world requires courage, standing up, speaking up. And that was one thing Hegg has said is, it was vital and essential and brilliant that Trump went ahead and moved the American embassy back to Jerusalem. The idea that saying, yeah, we're going to stand up. This is the Jewish people's right in their country of Israel to name their capital. And Trump was absolutely right to uh, to move the even over the objections of a variety of people to move America's embassy to Jerusalem. Okay, Project Veritas and Google why it matters to you. Google's bias is basically anti-conservative, anti-Christian, and anti-American. Victim status as decided by them. Trump's principles, values, and truth. A senior Google personnel person openly determined to not let Trump win again. So recognize your search results are manipulated. Demand government action to stop Google's thought manipulation. Break up big tech. I support that. And last, go to my website, americacanwetalk.org. Often, a lot of truth about America right there at americacanwetalk.org. Next one, the moral vacuousness of victim politics, why it matters. All these left-wing cities in California, and I could have done other, and in Seattle, their victim, their left-wing cities, victim politics have brought chaos. In Seattle, landlords have to <laughs> take the first applicant who can pay, no questions asked, no concern for property ownership, rights, or property values. San Francisco, poop maps available from the city, and homeless protection versus a restaurant's right to cleanliness. Yeah, what if this guy only at restaurant does not really want to have a homeless person sleeping outside of his restaurant, scaring off customers? And San Diego, tent city for the homeless and secular rehab. We didn't even get off on that. They have this rehab thing that probably is not going to help that much, but tent cities for the homeless and secular rehab, and then what? The American ethos, America is based on individual freedom and responsibility under God. Leftism rejects that ethos and and assumes that millions are mere victims. The Democrat presidential debates and why they matter to you. These are Wednesday and Thursday night. Ask yourself, will any of those candidates agree that Trump's tax policies have improved the employment numbers? If not, what explains the jobs numbers? What explains it? I, I hope they will make them say, why is our economy so good if, his, if you claim his tax policies are so bad. Klobuchar has already said day one she's going to end Biden, going to start working, getting, getting rid of all the Trump tax cuts. Number two, what will any of them do to secure the border? Or are they admitting they don't want to do that? If they have no plan, they're telling you they don't want to do that. Will any of them fight voter fraud? Will any of them even think it's a problem we have voter fraud? And last, do they support or oppose the Green New Deal? If they support it, how in heaven's name will we pay for it? And if they want to have the Green New Deal, we better start to picture America as Venezuela. 
And that, my friends, is my show for today, America Can We Talk. If you enjoy listening, please email me. If you have questions or comments, you can email americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Love your comments on Facebook. Please like this page on Facebook. Please share this post. If you're on YouTube, please comment on YouTube. Please subscribe on YouTube. Love hearing from you. I love doing this show every day because I love speaking up for the extraordinary greatness of America, the only country in the world rooted and based on the idea of the individual who lives his life, has a right to live his life in liberty. America does matter. So for that reason, I do my show every day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-